0: Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Double Reel, the monthly podcast magazine for the discerning film nerd. It's February 2023, we know exactly what you're all up to because we've got spy balloons positioned over your homes. We're here to get you through the month with a big helping of cinematic content for your waiting ears. My name's James Adamson and I'm a film nerd with a geeky love of film and obscure stories from the world of cinema and a lot of opinions. Joining me on the podcast is my co-host, also called James Adamson. Welcome James. Thank you very much for the warm welcome, excited to be back. Regular listeners will be used to us dropping all of our monthly episode content in one go, but we've decided to change things up a bit. We still aim to provide you with the podcast equivalent of the monthly film magazines you used to buy in the newsagent, packed with a range of features from the world of film. But now we're going to divide up each month's issue into three parts and release them a week at a time. Hopefully, you'll enjoy them hitting your feed regularly through the month, and each pod we drop will be a bit shorter and easier to get through.
1: This is the first part of episode 34 double reel monthly we look at recent film news what new releases are heading our way and review any new films we've seen since the last episode we'll also discuss how we're getting on with film related resolutions we made for 2023
0: next week we'll deliver our regular features classics and recommended hidden gem the one that got away
1: and the remake hate watch the following week it'll be the big conversation where we talk about a topic from the world of film in more detail We'll tell you a bit more about that at the end of this episode and there are more details about all of our features on our various social media channels. If you
0: want to check that out or comment on the podcast, you can find us on Twitter on at Double Real Film. There's also an Instagram account called Double Real Podcast and a Double Real Podcast Facebook page for you to follow if you're that way inclined. You can also follow us on letterbox.com slash Double where we list all the films we've discussed in the podcast and much more besides. If you like the podcast, we'd also be very grateful if you could leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you use, as it really helps us get the word out to the rest of the world.
1: Now it's time to dim the lights and take your seats for February's Double Real Monthly. Hope you enjoy it.
0: Okay, let's get into it. Double Real Monthly is the first part of the February episode and gives you a regular digest of news, new releases and how we've been fitting in movie watching with our busy, exciting lives. This replaced our monthly roundup from the previous episodes and the content is fairly familiar. In the next hour, you'll get a breakdown of what's going on in the world of film this month and we'll set you up for your own movie watching. As well as that, at the start of each year, we make some film-related New Year's resolutions as we'll be discussing the goals we've set for ourselves in 2023. As always, our mission is to give you a great discussion about films and film-related stories that will inspire you to escape the confines of the algorithm and watch something you haven't seen or have been meaning to see for a better cinematic experience. Also, just to quickly mention our other podcasts, which you might like to check out. The Adamson's Versus is where we step away from the world of film and talk about stories, news, and anything else that's caught our attention. Our most recent episode, The Adamson's Versus the Sex-Trafficking Internet Personality, is out now. With that piece of self-promotion out of the way, let's get started with a few uh, messages from readers, uh, or listeners rather. We've uh, split it into uh, sections, so this is about what we're going to be talking about uh, uh, on this on this segment. Uh, the Cronenberg film for this month of my annual project is rabid, and Florentino said, very good film, hard to say enjoyed it because it's so dark and disturbing, which I'd say is a very good summation of Cronenberg generally. Uh, we'll be discussing some new releases later, and there were some comments about them on the socials. Uh, regarding Babylon, Scott said, Great score, great cast, great costumes, but not a good film. Too much going on and horrible to watch. I lasted 40 minutes. On the other hand, Jonathan said, I thought it was brilliant possibly Damien Chazelle's best film. Up there were the best work of Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson. Seems Everyone seems to have loved or hated that film. On the new Netflix film, The Pale Blue Eye, Lauren says, Pretty meh, I thought. It's trying to be gothic, but it's just poorly lit. Kim says decent watch but not really gripping Diner, on the other hand was much more positive I liked it very much, a dark, slow quiet gothic tale and I loved the cinema- cinematography, acting in gloomy mood. And on the Oscars contender and BAFTA winner all quiet on the western front, Stephanie says brutal and grim as expected thought the simple score was very effective and excellent quality overall but it jumped around a bit too much and honestly I got a bit bored from time to time. It's very well made but I don't think it altogether worked for me um so that's uh that's what people are saying about some of the things we're going to be discussing now um but first of all let, let's talk about some news
1: uh what what news has caught your eye mate um so the sad one is the bruce phillis uh, bruce, bruce willis has um dementia they thought it was initially just aphasia yeah which is to do with recognizing speech um but sadly he's been diagnosed with um dementia which is obviously very sad he's 67 which is you know, quite young.
0: It's relatively early, isn't it? Compared
1: to you know, you know other like ages or more common ages for diagnoses. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was quite sad. Um, that was probably the that was probably the biggest one I saw. Obviously, it's award season and the BAFTAs were last night when when yeah. we record this.
0: Yeah, that's hot um, off the presses. Did you did you see the the, the winners? Did you see the the ceremony and, and see who's won?
1: No, I was in. I was I was at work till midnight, so. <laughs> Uh yeah, it was a bit of a late one for me, so I just kind of caught up with it this morning. Basically, um, surprised—not surprised. Surprised because the BAFTAs always do this; like they—they they always give awards to like British and you know Irish, I suppose, filmmakers, but. Um, I was surprised that All Quiet on the Western Front won so many, but then again, I'm not, because the screenplay was by a Scottish woman, so that's just what they do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was slightly surprised by that as well. I mean, although it did go in with the most nominations, I think, which is slightly different to the Oscars, because it doesn't have the most no- nominations, though although it does have quite a few, um, it's... I mean, we might as well talk about. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later. I mean, I'm, I'm slightly surprised that it won as many as, as we did. It, I have watched it, and I have my own thoughts on it. Um, the uh, the other ones, Banshees of Ina Shuren won a couple. Um, Everything, everywhere, all at once just didn't do very. Didn't uh, won editing. I think it only won a couple though. So I think people were expecting that one to do a bit better. It's hard to say whether yeah. there's any indication of what's going to happen at the Oscars though.
1: Yeah, the Oscars will probably bring it back to closer to what the Globes did. I reckon Michelle Yeoh is still a, a favourite for the uh, for the Oscar. Um, and, and Kate Blanchett kind of came out of nowhere, didn't she, with um, that win? She's she's kind of it, it's weird. She's kind of
0: uh, favoured or one one of the favourites to win at the Oscars. But I, I was I was obviously talking to my wife about like that the, the, the uh, that and she was a little bit surprised that Kate Blanchett. It's like what again? But sometimes people do win again,
1: don't they? Yeah, no, Kate Blanchett's a very talented actress, but yeah, it, yeah. it's starting to feel like, you know, Amy Adams has had about five nominations and not one, and Kate Blanchett just makes a film and she's winning it now. Which isn't, yeah, a, yeah. It isn't to say that it was a bad performance, but you do feel for all these actresses that just seem to get nominated at the same time as Kate. It's like she's becoming Meryl Streep. Yeah, which is like... Meryl Streep would make a film and you wouldn't... you have just got no chance of fucking winning, like Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> it's,
0: it's like the... Um, it's almost like... I think it's about the voters, isn't it? The voters sort of kind of... I don't know how to describe this. They sort of do the same thing over and over again. It's like, oh, we know that Kate Blanchett is an Oscar winner or an award winner, so when she's nominated, we give it to her. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Mark Kermode, who I, I like to reference, he said something quite interesting the other day. He said, all awards are stupid, so don't take them very seriously. The only, <laughs> the only thing about awards is, is that when it, some films can do very well out of getting awards recognition that deserve to do well out of it. So it's like, you kind of let it wash over you a little bit and go, yeah, those, th- I don't agree with a lot of those, but some films have done really well for, for getting awards attention. So fair play. Um, but that, yeah, the, the Oscars will be coming next month. We'll obviously be discussing them in a bit more detail because they are the, yes. the big ceremony. Um, sort of connected awards news. Uh, Viola Davis is now an EGOT. Is She? Yeah, so you know the Egot thing? That's somebody who's won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar. Emmy, Grammy.
1: What did she win an Oscar for?
0: Uh, supporting Actress for Fences, that thing she did with Denzel Washington. It was the film of the did play she she'd done that? abroad. Yeah, yeah, best supporting actress. Oh, and then what did she win a Grammy for? So the Grammy is the one she's just won. She, pre- she won an Emmy for How to Get Away with Murder. She obviously got and that Oscar 24. for Fences. She got, she's won two Tonys, one for Fences, which is a, it's like um, the guy, August Wilson, I think his name is. He's kind of, look at him as like the black Arthur Miller. He's like one of the great dramatists of American 20th century theater, but he's a black guy. He doesn't get as much attention. So, Dan Washington right. sort of championed him, and Fences was shown on Broadway, and Viola Davis won a, a, a Tony for a performance. She won for something else as well. That the late she's now she's hit EGOT with the Grammy, which was for best audiobook narration. That's which, fucking horrible <laughs> Which is I could win a fucking Grammy at that point. <laughs> yeah, which is that's which is great. A bit, like a bit of a random kind of Grammy. To be fair though, they're all wins in competitive. Um, uh like categories i did notice jennifer hudson and let's look we're quibbling about somebody's won a shitload of awards because they're super talented but jennifer hudson's emmys are like for daytime the daytime emmys like like, yeah hosting which is like which is like soap operas and stuff that's not the same do you know what i mean although she although she is very very good um but yeah so congratulations to viola davis she joins a very select group there um raquel Welch obviously died this this new section is starting to sound like the obituary section because there's always there's always a um there's always something like that in, in in the news yeah 82 years old so i guess it's natural causes kind of thing but obviously you know certainly my generation and generation before me she was a huge star very sort of fondly remembered so um probably underrated as an actress actually she was pretty good at comedy and she did some pretty good stuff but because she was a bit of a pin-up she um, maybe didn't get taken all that seriously uh, as an actress. And um, obviously she'll be very famous in film lore because it's her poster that was a crucial part of the plot of Shawshank Redemption. So she's, uh, yeah. she's yeah, a, 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 an icon of film has passed away. Have you even seen a Raquel Welch film? Have you ever seen a film that's got her in it? No. So- but I didn't want to say anything to say... Disrespectful. No, no, it's just a generational thing. I mean, the, I think the last film she did of any note has got to be twenty-five years ago. Yeah, it's, it's
1: like me talking to you about that new Hogwarts game. You
0: know, yeah, like, it's like yeah, it's a generational thing. Um, but yeah, any any other news caught your right? eye? Um, no, a, a, a couple of quick ones. Uh, Joe Cornish is working on a sequel to Attack the Block. Um, I really enjoyed Attack the Block. So that's mental. I mean I'll I'll happily watch the sequel. I don't know how much story oh, yeah. there is left to tell, but I really enjoyed it out the block so and I like Joe Cornish so
1: fair play. Is he going to have John Boyega in it? I don't know. He's all he's if it doesn't
0: then there's no point. All he's announced is he's writing the script. I mean if John Boyega is in it, I mean Joe, Cornish, be... Joe Cornish's films haven't been that huge in and of themselves, but he has worked with Spielberg a lot. He's very well connected. You know, he's so he's done successful work. He's like written and done stuff for other people. Um and and obviously John Boyega's coming off the back of Star Wars and stuff. So that this could be quite big if he does have John Boyega do you know what I mean that would be interesting because Attack the Block was like a cool little cult cult movie and John yeah, Boyega was, was an it unknown it was dumb but
1: it was good yeah yeah
0: but I mean if they have Jodie Whittaker and John Boyega back now that's like Doctor Who and a guy from Star Wars that you're in a different realm now
1: aren't you I think they should set it in a scheme in Glasgow <laughs> do you know what a scheme is yeah, yeah 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 I think they should just do it in somewhere and then it's not not many people die that that would be the difference. Yeah. <laughs> just a guy sticking the nut in a fucking alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting. Um less less edifying sequel news. There's gonna be a Toy Story five. Oh, I saw that. That's honestly that they they barely, barely got away with Toy Story Four. I don't know what the fuck they're
1: thinking. Um, Toy Story Four was a good film, but it spoiled the other three. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just by yeah. existing, it could have been yeah. the best film ever made, but it spoiled the th- like three a, a, greatest a, a, animated. A, a films. A perfect
0: new. trilogy does not need a fourth film, right?
1: Can we? I don't want to. I don't want to say this is news. And I don't want to put any light on it. But every time I go on Twitter nowadays, there's there's allegations about Tom Hanks. Have you seen this? No. Basically, suggesting that he is a pedophile. Have you seen this? No, but we won't I'm... talk about it too much. But it's it's absolutely mental and like it's like people with, like with like verified people on twitter are going oh yeah tom hanks is a pedophile and like people coming out and saying he's all these things it's it's just i don't like it i don't my, like tom um, hanks is... my
0: my first instinct is that's made up shit by right wing
1: cunts i mean yes probably i mean if it's true then i will we'll go back and delete this entire podcast but you yeah know, it's... yeah
0: <laughs> yeah which is an interesting segue into into uh, sort of uh, other alleged offences. There is going to be a film about the Prince Andrew interview. Yeah, which what with Laura Koonsberg? No, no, the one that he did with um, Emily Maitlis, where he absolutely Emily Maitlis. Shat, shat I do himself. Mix those, yeah. I mix those two up quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the <laughs> difference is Emily Maitlis is a proper journalist and Laura Koonsberg and Laura is just Coons a mouthburst wank. for the Tories. So, um, But yeah, it's I guess... It could be like Frost Nixon, except uh, imagine Frost Nixon where Nixon's a moron. Um,
1: but basically, <laughs> do you mean an even bigger moron?
0: Well, Nixon was a very <laughs> intelligent bloke who just happened to be a corrupt weasel. Whereas Prince Andrew is a clinical moron. I mean, he's got no fucking brains. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what they're doing that because the story of that is that he shouldn't have done the interview, and within minutes of starting the interview, he made an absolute twat of himself. So I don't I, I don't I don't know what story I don't know what story is, is except you know the, the, I mean the 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 background scenes of all his advisors kind of you know wanting to kill themselves just because he did the interview I don't know but Rufus Sewell's going to play Prince Andrew and Gillian Anderson's going to play Emily Maitlis. That's going to be an excellent film. Yeah, I have to. I'm I, I'm I, I struggle to get my head around it. Um, the other sort of news is I mean the, the I mean the Oscar nominations are out. I mean I don't know you you must have seen them. Yes, I think I caught them a
1: while ago. Yeah, um, they've they, they've been
0: out a while. I mean, it's 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 kind of funny because there's there's quite a few films with tons of nominations. Everything, everywhere, all at once has got like like eleven or something. All Quiet on the Western Front's got nine. Um, uh, Banshees of Anna has got nine. Elvis has got eight. It's hard to say who's actually going to win Best Picture. There's some money on the Fablemans because that's like been really popular with like. You know, basically a lot of a lot of Oscar voters are Spielberg's age or have grown up with Spielberg films, so they're wondering if Spielberg's gonna have like one last hurrah here. Um there's a lot of love for Banshee's of I sharing across the pond as well, so hard to say. But all quite a Western front kind of swept the board on the BAFTAs side. So I don't know if that's what's gonna happen on um on Oscar night as well. We'll just have to see. Yeah. Um yeah, we'll see. It feels like a normal Oscar year so far. We'll have to see what happens. There's, there's no
1: point in predicting the Oscars because I don't, we didn't predict them last year, but I don't remember seeing anything about Coda and then that won like three big awards, didn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's because of the way the, um, the Oscars... There's, there's been some odd kind of dark horse type um, talk about Top Gun Maverick winning Best uh, Picture because it's the sort of film that everyone will at least like. No one hates Top Gun. Do you know what I mean?
1: Well, I was going to get onto that. We call this foreshadowing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The only other thing that came out of the Oscars since we last spoke about them was there's been a lot of controversy about Andrea Riseborough's nomination. Why? Well, the mainly it's that someone has come in with a different means of like oscar campaigning and it's put some noses out of joint because people expect that the the big establishment figures who spend lots of money on their oscar campaigns should get all the nominations so it's partly that it's partly um a couple of rules were broken sort of you're not when you there's all sorts of underhand dealings with like the Oscar nomination campaigns. I mean, the fact that a Harvey Weinstein is very good at it should tell you everything you need to know about how how snide and weaselly the whole Oscar campaigning thing is, right? Um, but there are some rules. Like if you make a statement saying "I think this film is really, really good," you're not supposed to mention any of the other films. Like you shouldn't be slagging off other people's films. Right. Or you, sh- it's a- or not not so much slagging off, but saying vote for film A is fine. Saying don't vote for film B is 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 seen as a bit iffy. Um, and what ha- what happened was a lot of people like connected Hollywood like like legends, kind of going on Twitter and like reading out a prepared statement, just felt a little bit cheeky. But the other thing is, it's I, th- I think the controversy somewhat arisen because neither Viola Davis nor Danielle Deadweiler got nominations, and some people pointed fingers going, "How can Andrea Riseborough's got a nomination with this like sneaky social media campaign, uh, and two black women have missed out?" Uh, right. Okay. I personally don't blame Andrea Risborough for that, because firstly, Andrea Riseborough is in a small independent film that found it really hard to find distribution, and if Hollywood really cared about those films, they would like give them a better, better chance to, to be seen. So fuck them, right? And, and I also think, if you're pointing fingers, why does Anna de Armas get nominated for Best Actress, and why does um, uh, Michelle Williams get nominated for Best Actress for what's obviously a supporting performance... Um, they could have been. They could have lost out to Viola Davis and Daniel Deadwiler. So I point the finger at Andrea Riceborough who is one of the few people really supporting small independent films, right? Yeah. So, so. it's. The, the Oscars... I think we can talk about this when we when we get into the Oscars in more detail next month, but I, I think it's quite interesting the way Oscar campaigning goes. But it did put a few noses out of joint, and I wonder if there's going to be any long-term blowback for Andrea rise from this, which is very unfair because none of this is her fault. All she did was do a good performance. But I there has
1: been a bit of grumbling about it. Uh, yeah, I feel like with these kind of things, the outrage is right because it's there's not a fair representation in Hollywood at all. However, they should, like you've just said, they should be more annoyed at the system mm-hmm. and the way that things are kind of done that way. So Anna de Arma shouldn't be nominated for Blonde because it's an abomination. Mm-hmm. And Michelle Williams, like you just said, has been nominated for what is obviously a supporting role. Mm-hmm. So I think they've got to look at that as opposed to having a go at Andrea Rice. But I don't think... It, it won't kill her career. It won't... Like, she'll still make films. And she... The backlash shouldn't be her because she's not the what She just was in a film. She wasn't the yeah, one yeah. behind the social media campaign and all that shit. It, it's just one of the... I think... There's bigger things going on in the fucking world than folk worrying about the Oscars. I know, I know, it's I know that sounds bad because everyone wants fair representation, but I think there's a lot, there's a longer way to go in terms of fair representation and equality in America than the fucking Oscars. Like, yeah. let's start with the police first. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know I, I, mean? I, I agree. I agree. Um, it's yeah. It is what it is. So yeah, I mean, the, the Oscars is a very murky, murky thing, and that's—I think it's something we can we can delve into, into 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 some detail when we do when we do the Oscars. Um, any other news caught your eye?
1: Um, no. I, obviously, it's, it's just everyone's buzzing about the uh, Oscar season, aren't they? Yeah. And 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 who knows? It might be it might be
0: a good ceremony. It might be a lively ceremony without anybody resorting to fisticuffs this year.
1: Oh no! I hope, I, hope I hope there's loads of jokes about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, there will. I don't. Know, I don't know who's hosting it, but there's bound to be a mention, isn't there?
1: Chris Rock. Chris Rock. Hundred percent Chris Rock.
0: <laughs> Chris Rock with like one of those kind of you know the, the the headgear that boxers wear to protect themselves when they're sparring. Oh yes. He should at least at least go in to give out an award wearing that. That would be tremendous. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll see about that. Um, so, having do- having done the news, we tend to go from there to talking about what new films are coming out this month. Uh, have any new releases kind of um, caught your imagination, uh, mate? That, that you can see coming out? Um, no, I th- I didn't think it was a great film. A great month for a film, sorry. I yeah, mean, no, it is really gripped me. It is it is a quiet time, uh, but in terms of what's coming out, there is a reasonably big film coming out on the third of March. Uh, Creed three.
1: Oh, no, I did see an advert for that as I was driving to work the other day. That looks good. Is that out this month? Uh, yeah, March the 3rd. Um, okay, so.
0: So Michael B. Jordan's actually directing this. So he's actually getting he's getting so up to his neck in the Rocky franchise that he's now doing what Stallone did and starting to direct the films himself as well as starring mm-hmm. him. which is it's quite a fun parallel. Uh, Jonathan Majors is playing the main opponent who, and he's just about to be the big bad in the next phase of Marvel. So it's going to be a big year or two for him.
1: Yeah, I heard him. Um, he's in the new Ant Man. I heard that was a bit shit. Yeah, I've yeah. heard Ant Man shit as well. I, I just can't be bothered with Ant Man. Ant Man's always been shit, though. That's the problem. Ant Man is a boring hero. Yeah, I mean he's uh. he's he's
0: quite a handy sort of supporting character to have in other movies, but I've never been that enthused about watching like a whole film just about Ant Man. Um, a French film is out on the March third as well, called Close, which is. Um, it's about an intense friendship between two 13-year-old boys suddenly gets disrupted and the mothers have to investigate what happened. Um, it's, it looks like a drama that's winning awards at Cannes and such like, or nominated at Cannes. Um, 10th of March, 65, an action-adventure uh, an action adventure drama starring Adam Driver is out on March the 10th. Um, an astronaut crash-lands on a mysterious planet only to discover he's not alone um, that's uh, yeah. That's all I know. That could be it. Could be interesting. It could be dull. See what comes out about that. It is actually being shown in cinemas though, so that's good. Uh, Scream Six is out. As many as six. Yeah, I mean they, they, they did like uh. three. They don't. They did four ages ago. So this is like the second of like the reboot kind of thing. Um, yeah. I still haven't caught up with the last Scream film. Maybe it was good. Uh, I, I don't know just feels a little bit played out. It just feels a bit played out now. Yeah, I mean, there's been there's been, there's been like five or six scary movie films, the spoof of, of Scream. It feels like, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything new to do there. Uh, then on March the 17th, you've got Pearl, which is a new horror film starring Mia Goth. She is like the new kind of uh, go-to kind of lead in horror movies. And I think this is the guy who did X last year, which I wasn't super keen on well I was disappointed by it. I thought it was an interesting idea that ended up not being that amazing so that's a new horror film uh, set in 1918 there you go um, that Mia Goth does seem to have uh, carved a bit of a niche for herself in those horror films um, Shazam Fury of the Gods is out on March the 17th it's outside the sequel to the first Shazam film
1: Oh, no, I really enjoyed the first Shazam film. I was yeah, pleasantly yeah, surprised yeah, by it. Have you me seen too. it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It wasn't shit, but it looked like it was going to be shit. Just that costume looks really tacky. I um, think I think what they've done well is that they've pitched it as like
0: a PG film. And they've said, look, this is going to be more kid friendly, but actually, <laughs> like, but works. I think it works at the level they pitched it at, if you see what I mean.
1: Yeah. Um. Oh, now. Now then. I did see a trailer. And it's interesting how much a trailer can do for one alleged criminal's uh, life. Did you see the trailer for the new Flash? Uh, no. But know anything about the trailer for the new Flash? No. Okay, I'm going to tell you. It's a spoiler, spoiler, not spoiler, spoiler. But Spo- trailer. Spoil-
0: spoilers and trailers, I think, are okay because anyone can go and so, go on YouTube and look at them. Any there's minutes.
1: going to be two Batmans in the new. Flash film. All oh, right, right. D- I did know that... One of them... One of them's Ben Affleck. Yeah. yeah. The second one's Michael Keaton. I did know Michael Keaton was making an appearance. So, so, that's cool. But because of that, everyone's forgetting that Ezra Miller is a fucking psychopath.
0: Well, that's the thing. There is there a pretty straightforward like exit strategy for this. I guess they're, they're stuck with Ezra Miller. Although if they can can a whole Batgirl film, they can can a whole Flash film. It seems to me. But <laughs> if they are going to persist with Flash, the whole point of Flash is that I mean, all of the the comic book films have got like multiverse stuff. But you do have like parallel world storylines in DC, and because the Flash yeah. runs so fast, he sort of creates kind of wormholes. And a flash from another another like reality could easily end up in this one, and you can just get rid of Ezra Miller like that, like a snap of the fingers. So that seems to me to be the very easy way to get shot of Ezra Miller once they've kind of gritted their teeth and got through this film. But it's up to them what they do. DC doesn't seem to have a fucking clue what they're doing, so it wouldn't surprise me if they made Ezra Miller the new Batman. Um, <laughs> um, another horror film coming out called Play Dead. Um, it looks like the usual, usual kind of stuff. Um there's always a few horror films out. If it gets good reviews, it'll turn out to be really good. Another film called Alleluia is out, which is a ge- geriatric ward in a small Yorkshire hosp- hospital threatened with closure. It's Based on a play by Alan Bennett, and it stars your usual cast of great British uh, institutions: um, Judy Dench, Kloon, Jim Broadbent, yeah, all you know, all of those. So, if that's if that's been done to the standard of the original writing and, and the actor that's in it the actors that are in it that'll be decent i mean alan bennett is a reliable performer when it comes to scripts um a documentary coming out on march the 22nd all these voices which is a member of one direction to solo artist, capturing the oh it's a a documentary following the life and career of louis tomlinson well there you go why the fuck did you bring that up it's on the list. Oh I, I, my god! It, you, it, when you go on IMDb, you click on the title, and it says something about One Direction, and then you have to look lower down to see that the the, the, the main lead is Louis Tomlinson. So if you just read off the list and don't realise who it's about, you suddenly go, "Oh, I'm doing. I'm reading about a documentary about Louis Tomlinson." And then just before um, next uh, next month's uh, recording time, March the twenty fourth. So this will be just before our next episode comes out. There's starting to speed up a little bit. Uh, John Wick Chapter 4 is out. Oh, yes, no, I did see this. This looks very good. Which is going to be two hours, 49 minutes long. Oh, my fucking God. That sort of seems... I mean, mean, we've sat through a nearly three-hour Batman film and said it, it justified the length, but it feels to me that's ambitious for a John Wick film. Um, given the film. to be of this a film. lot
1: of punching, isn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah, a lot of punching, or you know, God knows. Um, there's a, a horror a horror crime mystery called Infinity Pool starring Alexander Skarsgard um, coming out. Which, um, no, hold
1: on, which one's that again? Is that the one that was the clown or the one that was Tarzan?
0: He, Alexander, yeah, it's, uh, it's
1: Tarzan. <laughs> the, the, the,
0: the tall Tarzan. one, the, 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 the tall one. They're all fucking
1: tall. The Swedish.
0: <laughs> that's true. That's true. No, yeah, tar- Tarzan. Tarzan and um, uh, the the they did, it was in the Viking film last year as well. Um, a good oh yes, a good person is out starring Florence Pugh and Morgan Freeman. Pugh, Pugh, um, and the last thing that comes out before we would be recording again is Ip Man: The Awakening. So they are rebooting Ip Man. It looks like Ip Man is a kid, so it's I guess Donnie Yen's like early years child child version of this character. Which has got terrible reviews. It's got a four point six out of ten rating on on IMDB because people, people haven't appreciated that uh, kiddie reboot. So I won't be bothering with that. Okay, so it's still not still not packed with big films coming out, and I think that's just the time of year, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, there's a couple of things I'll be checking out. I'll probably check out John Wick. I'll probably check out one or two of the other ones. Um, Shazam. I wait. I waited to watch the other one at home. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll go and see this one. The pictures. I don't know. I did. I did enjoy the last one. So we'll see. Yeah. Um. So that's uh, that's that. Um. The next thing we talk about is what new films we have watched uh, new and recent films we've watched. So why don't you take it away, mate? I think you did a bit of
1: foreshadowing earlier. So I watched Top Gun. So, um. I'm finding that the new one, the new top. Gun, what, sort of top what's gun your average. What's your history with the old
0: one? I mean, it's kind of it's it was a cultural icon for me and everyone my age. But it's kind yeah, of it's, it's, it's a film. As it's far as you're shit. concerned, it's a film your dad watched, right? It's a bit shit. Like
1: I'm not, I'm not, not, in a bad mood, but it is a bit shit. It's cheesy, and it's shit. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's I, I, like, I it, you can I, understand I, why for Blake.
0: I can see. I, I know exactly where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. Um, but I thought uh, everyone was raving about this it's Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise hasn't really made like a bad film that he's been in control of because we don't want to talk about The Mummy Yeah. but any film that he is you know, behind and has a passion for that film is going to be good mm-hmm. so I thought well, I'll give it a try and it was very good I thought it was very cheesy and I thought it was I thought the kind of throwbacks and the fan service was very good and I thought it was an excellent film. I feel like you didn't really have to know that much because it kind of spoon-fed you mm-hmm. everything that happened in the first one that you mm-hmm. needed to know with relation to this one. Yeah. Um, I did think the only problem I had with it is that Tom Cruise managed to survive getting attacked by a fucking Apache helicopter by hiding behind <laughs> a tree. Um, yeah, yeah. I know these films aren't meant to be too realistic, but come on.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I mean that's the thing the the original film was cheesy over the top and unrealistic and silly and i think the new film was all of those things but for a new generation do you see what i mean that it was like if they tried to do top gun yeah. maverick in the style of the original top gun it would have absolutely crashed and burned because it was it there's there's 80s cheesy and there's 2020s cheesy do you see what i mean yeah. And I think they got it right for for now. And I think it was it, it, it trod a very fine line between nostalgia for the original film and still working as a film today. And I, I thought they did a nice job. Not supposed to be taken that seriously Sure, there's some good emotional stuff between him and the Miles Telecatch and everything. But if you're if you're tuned into the Top Gun wavelength, I think it was a, it was a, a very. I mean, I, I I had a very very fun time going to see it at the cinema. I'm glad you enjoyed
1: it too. Yes. Um, what other films have I watched recently? I feel like I watched one over the weekend. Oh, watch the Dam United again. Yep. That's just a good film. Um and Yeah, I think that might be it.
0: I went to see one film at the cinema and I streamed a couple of others just because there wasn't that much on, on the big screen that yeah. I wanted to kind of make it out to. Um, but I went to the cinema to see Babylon. Okay. Now, is that good? I absolutely loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, I totally understand why it's the sort of film that some people have come away hating because it's excessive, it's self-indulgent, it's over three hours long. Um, it is about kind of Hollywood, and films about Hollywood aren't for everyone. Some people don't want to watch films about films. Some people think that's just disappearing up your own arse. I get it. Um, It was uh, uh, very kind of uh, sexually explicit, and people were doing drugs, and, and there was violence and all sorts of madness going on, and some people must have found that wildly over the top. I thought it was amazing. Absolutely loved it. It's sort of about the early days of Hollywood. So it's the 1920s where... Films are established, and some people are very big stars. And this young actress, played by Margot Robbie, storms in, takes the 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 movie world by storm. Um, has this kind of wild kind of off screen lifestyle, and is kind of this sort of sex bomb on screen, and everyone loves her. And then with the change from sound, from silent to sound, everyone's got to adapt. Brad Pitt is the established star, has one experience. Now that everyone moves into sound, Margot Robbie has a different experience. There's a young um, uh, a, a young guy who is kind of behind the scenes, but becomes like an executive and kind of he starts out as a runner on, on on day one and kind of because he's prepared to just work hard and is in the right place at the right time, he starts to become a powerful executive. And you follow these people's stories. Absolutely loved it. There's an amazing, amazing sequence where they're filming about six films on this big set at one at one time, and you walk past and they're they're filming kind of one kind of scene. You walk past another one and they're filming a. A, a western saloon bar fight and you go past another one and they're doing some scenes for like a, a a period drama and the energy is amazing and it looks fantastic and it's got so much vibrancy to it. Um, it's not perfect. The, the, it does tread some of the same territory as Singing in the Rain and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I didn't mind that. I thought it had its own spin on, on, the, on the old days. Uh, it does follow the plot of um, Boogie Nights. You know, like the first half of the okay. film, or Goodfellas. You know, where the first half of the film you're just enjoying the wildness, and then the second half of the film is this is the come down, when things start to get a bit messy and your life your lifestyle catches up on you and all that sort of thing. So it does follow the same thing, and it, it it was reminiscent of like other films I've seen in that way. And there were one or two ways that the story resolved itself that were a bit clunky. I think they could have done those better, um, but I I loved it. Every film should be made with this much passion and this much style and this much energy. Not every film should be like a million miles an hour, but you know what I mean? Just, every film should actually make, make you feel something like strong about it. Like, uh, if you watch this film, I bet you you might love it, you might hate it, but you won't go, nah. Do you know what I mean? And how many films did we watch last year yeah. where we were like, uh, whatever? Someone has really fucking gone through it with this movie, right? And every film should be made by someone who cares as much about the film they're making, as Damien Chazelle cared about making this film. And he obviously loves movies, so I'm going to be predisposed to like this kind of film. And if you're not that way, maybe you'll just watch this and think it's just a self-indulgent mess. But I swear to God, every film should have this much passion. Every film should have this much fucking work gone into it to make it really fucking stick in the mind to be memorable and actually be something that you look back and go, yeah, Babylon, wow. Even if you hated it, do you know what I mean? he hasn't made this yeah. film to kind of pander to his fans in the style of Wes Anderson or David O Russell. He hasn't made this film just to make money and didn't make any fucking money anyway. He didn't make this film to kind of, um, polish his own kind of like legend, like oh, I'm going to do something like whiplash or I'm going to do something like La La Land. Cause that worked last time. He said, fuck it. I'm going to really go for it. And he really went for it. And directors like him should fucking go for it this much. And there were, there were some things that I absolutely, absolutely adored about this film. So I, I I mean I I think it's great I I would say recommend it but some half the people listening to this might hate it Um, but I would much rather there was a conversation going on about a movie that that, that was either loved or hated but not kind of just shrugged at so that's what Babylon was to me yeah it didn't just sit on the fence about it it yeah this, this yeah, this film does not sit on this fence it fucking blows up the fence and then has an orgy on the remains of the fence and then does some drugs and then crashes a car into something that's what this film does to the fence so okay. yeah, so that's that's Babylon. Um, I also watched uh, the Pale Blue Eye. So I, I prioritised okay. this because this actually did come out in 2023. and I did have an eye on you know watching films that come out this year. So we've got you know something to talk about the end of the year awards and everything. Um, this is a gothic detective drama set in the 1800s, um, and it stars uh, Christian Bale. And it's based on a book that's done that kind of weaving of a fictional story in with a real-life character. So the real-life character is Edgar Allan Poe, the famous kind of writer of horror and detective stories. Like the the original goth. Exactly, yeah. And it's set around the time that uh, Edgar Allan Poe was actually at West Point Military Academy as a young man, before he decided to go off and be a writer. So that much is real events. Everything else is completely fictional, dreamed up by a writer. The idea is that a murder gets committed at the um, the military academy and it's a very gothic, scary, weird one where there might be satanic practices. And this old kind of experienced um, police detective who's res- who's retired because he's got demons, he's drinking, he's had some personal tragedy. Um, comes in to investigate the crime and there's all sorts of stuff going on. You can't trust anyone at the Academy. Um, Edgar and Poe is either a suspect or possibly a witness and ends up helping investigate the crime and you don't know who might be on the level. You don't know what might be going on or whether something weird or, and, you know, weird or, or scary is going on under the surface. Uh, very atmospheric. I think you need to be into this kind of thing to enjoy it because it is basically a detective story and I don't think it crosses over outside of that um it was good it was a bit slow and i you know the listeners saying that it it, it didn't really kind of grip it could have tried a bit harder to be a bit more gripping i think could have tried a bit harder to get that gothic um, atmosphere across a bit better um just like for a lot of the time you were just going and now we're going to investigate the next thing next thing that's happened instead of there's not really any kind of element of there's a murderer stalking the the campus And every time you go out of your room, you might be taking your life in your hands. I mean, they didn't quite create that kind of atmosphere of fear that I think they should have done. But it was very good. And Harry Melling from Harry Potter played um, Edgar Allan Poe. You know the the kid who played Dudley Dudley Dursley.
1: Is he? Yeah, is he starting to like kind of forge his own path now? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He's really good. Really, really good. did an absolutely great job of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, Held his own very well with Christian Bale. Christian Bale did his usual very solid, dependable stuff. Um, And uh, there's, you know, there's obviously a darkness to the character he's playing so he brought that out very well and, you know, Edgar Allan Poe is kind of very fascinating. He's kind of a bit of a sickly child but there he is at West Point at a military academy so he's doing army stuff as well and he's he's writing poetry, he's falling in love but also he's clearly got a dark side of his own. So there's very interesting and atmospheric. Um, I probably would have been a bit more dismissive of it. I'd caught it, sort of booked it, paid the cinema ticket, driven somewhere, and given up an evening. Do you know what I mean? Ooh. But, but it, <laughs> Obi disagrees. What are, you,
1: but, what are you? I don't know are you, are you. Are you thinking about dad's chatting shit, or has someone knocked <laughs> the
0: door? It's the first time a dog's disagreed <laughs> with my review of a film. Uh, What did you
1: think of it? I don't know. I was licking my bowels.
0: (laughs) Might just leave that in, actually. Um, Yeah, so so, so Pale Blue Eye, it it was all right. There were things about it that I really enjoyed. um, And it had a bit of a twist ending, which, I don't know, it was a little bit contrived. But yeah, it's worth a watch. Worth a watch. But it's probably streaming is the right place for it, if you see what I mean. Okay. So the other, the other film I watched was All Quiet on the Western Front, which is quite timely to have watched it just as the uh, the BAFTAs uh, are given out and the Oscars are coming up because it's featured very heavily in the Oscars. Um, and so what do we think about All Quiet on the Western Front? So it's very well made. The, st- the general standard of filmmaking around the whole thing is excellent. The acting is excellent. It, the recreation of the trenches is very good. The music particularly is good. I can see why that's been nominated for awards. Um, and in terms of what its main job is which is to portray how horrific the war, war, war the war in world war 1 in the trenches was i think it was very very good at all of that the reason that i kind of hesitated when i'm saying what i think of it is it, it's kind of it's illustrated quite well by this film got really mixed reviews in its native germany it's been oh, sort okay. of universally good reviews like everywhere everywhere else but in germany it got some criticism and the criticism that it got in Germany emanated from the fact that All Quiet on the Western Front is described, for example, by one by one former viewer as the most important novel written in the German language in the 20th century. And uh, the history of that book is that it was written in 1929 when Germany was going through horrific upheaval, just ten years after the end of World War One, which was bad enough for Germany, and then ten years of absolute uh, you know, depression. I mean, they didn't get a break. They didn't have, like, a good 20s and then the crash. They had a shit 20s and then the crash, right? So they're in an absolute mess. You've got the rise of nationalism. You've got a country that's barely functioning. They've been, you know, punished for... They took all the blame for the start of World War One, which is probably slightly harsh on them, and they're in an absolute terrible mess. And All Quiet on the Western Front came out as this kind of great anti-war statement, and it was embraced in the English-speaking world, absolutely loved in Britain, absolutely loved in, in America. They made a film of it in America one year after it came out. It's a big hit. Much more complicated history in um, Germany because the rise of nationalism is already happening in the late 20s. So this book is protested. People are trying to ban it. People are picketing bookshops that are selling it, right? And, as you know, the film had kind of people kind of, you know, trying to put people off going to see it when it's shown in Germany, the the, the English-language film that was made of it, which was an Oscar winner at the time. And when Hitler got in, All Quiet on the Western Front was one of the first books they burned and banned, Yeah. And now the last 80 years of the Germans trying to reckon with their history and trying to build back from all that and and put all of that behind them and face up to the cost of nationalism, the cost of starting wars and the cost of all of that stuff, all quite on the Western Front is really, really fucking important to them. And they feel like, or some of the reviewers feel like trying to turn this into an awards bait blockbuster has compromised what the book was meant to be about. And they've done a couple of big things there. They've lost a whole section where the main character goes home, gets leave from the war and sees what's going on at home and how people don't understand what's going on in the war. And and also they completely change the ending and what happens to the main character and how it happens. And a lot of German reviewers are very kind of put out by that because they think that was disrespectful to the original story. And they've basically said that for Netflix money and awards lust, I'm practically quoting here, they've kind of compromised what should have been a a, a very very important anti-war statement so the Germans are like this was our shot to do this properly and we've not done this properly and my take on it is the changes that they've made are not for the better so I think it would be worthy of all the awards that it's getting if they'd done those two things properly and not made those two changes if they stuck to the original ending and 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 kept that very very important central section from the story in there um, that would have been better and what they have instead is a very cliched ending and um, uh, some long passages of other stuff happening instead of in visiting home which I don't think work all that well so are bits of this film are absolutely brilliant and bits and I, and I don't know why they've done this maybe this is this film's been done twice before we can't make it exactly like the first two films I don't know but it, they've changed it, and I don't think they've changed it for the better. So very, very good, but I don't, th- I don't think it's as good as 1917, for example. And, done, and I don't think they've properly done the original story. And I can understand why that's very important to German people, to actually do that original story, because this was their shot to do it properly. So it's good, and I think the, the actual depiction of War in the Trenches is amazing, but I think they've let the original story down a little bit. And I can understand why people objected, or some people objected. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. But if you take it at face value, if you don't really, you know, if all you want to do is watch that, you know, a movie about World War One, I, I think it works very well as that. Um, so maybe I'm nitpicking because I've got a bit of personal connection. You know, studied the history and and, and have like a you know connection with the original story in the films. Do you know what I mean? But little bit, little bit of a missed opportunity, if you ask me.
1: Okay. Um, I remember the film I saw, I, watched, I got around to watching Black Panther, Wakanda forever. Yeah, what did you think? Shite. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, see, I, shit.
0: see I, I quite liked it, and I thought it was better than the other Marvel films that came out last year, but it wasn't nearly as good as the first one. Uh, it was just boring,
1: man. It was bleh. It was just... The, the highlight was at the very start when... Um, M'Baku goes, you bald-headed demon. I was like, this film is now, this film has peaked and it's going to be shit for the rest of it. And I was right. He called he called uh, the mad baldy lady a bald-headed demon and that was it. I thought, yeah, that, this film is not going to get any better from here, and, and I was 100% correct.
0: Do, do, you, do you think Marvel have hit some sort of decline? Is this a terminal decline? Because while I like Wakanda Forever more than you, I think we both generally agree that the Marvel films haven't been that great lately. Can they come back from this?
1: I mean, I think they can. I think the problem is is that they did so well with Endgame and marrying all of these stories together and then just kind of like from out of nowhere, you know, we've lost, not out of nowhere, but we've how do you kind of pick up the pieces after you've not got Iron Man anymore? You've not got Steve Rogers anymore. Um, you know you've got Thor and you've got the Guardians of the Galaxy. Nobody gives a shit about the Guardians of the Galaxy. And Thor Ragnarok was great in the second the, the the fourth Thor film was rubbish. So they're trying to pick up pieces that you don't really have. Unfortunately, Chadwick Boseman passing away made things really difficult. Mm-hmm. And what I will say is that they did quite well with. You know, coping with that, given how much of a loss that was, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. Uh,
0: it, it does feel like they they built up to this massive kind of like high point with uh, with Endgame that, like you say, then took a lot of their key, you know, the, the key reasons why they've been successful out of the picture, and and it, it seems to me, right, that they perhaps. Uh, made a bit of a mistake sort of maybe not putting enough into Captain Marvel because Captain Marvel is like a leading superhero right and they kind of the, the first film was like was all right of Captain Marvel but it was a bit throwaway do you know what I mean compared to some of the other Marvel films and it was a bit like yeah we need to get a Captain Marvel film out so that she it'll be it'll be meaningful when she's in Endgame rather than and now let's build on who, who who do we build the rest of Marvel on? Now that you don't have Tony Stark and now that you don't have um, the original Captain America, it's kind of they're drifting a bit, aren't they? Yeah,
1: they're coasting.
0: It's not. It's quite worrying. Mm. Which is which is strange. I know. I know it's different because that, that the, they didn't actually bring all of, all of this to the head and kind of had with this one big shattering event in the comics. But they have had fifty years of the comics where they have had different Iron Man, different Captain America, uh, d- different storylines. And it's the same people in charge. They just don't seem to be able to plot a new course. I mean, Avenger, I know you've had COVID and everything, but Avengers Endgame was three years ago now. And they don't seem to have quite kind of worked out properly what they're going to do next. And now they've said there is now a Marvel Phase 5 and it's going to have Kang in it. But what was Marvel fa- Phase 4 then? What have we just had? Because that was just a bit of a kind of like mess, yeah. yeah so i don't know um and kang i mean thanos had been built up in a number of ways by the time he became the central piece and kang now he showed up at the end of loki i'm oh, sorry if that's a spoiler um the the tv series and now he's in uh, he's the big bad in uh in, in ant-man but it's a bit like okay well what's kang's history what's he to all of this you know whereas thanos had been this kind of underlying kind of throbbing like concern over the course of about ten films, they built up, and then when Thanos became the main thing, and, and we—I remember we talked about Marvel. We said, I don't know if they want another big bad, because that Thanos was like, it, 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 even if you do it as well as well as last time, it's the same thing as last time. Do you know what I mean? But I don't know. It just feels like they've, and like we said, if Marvel peaks, then what 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 does what what does the future hold for blockbuster cinema? I don't know. If Marvel's on, yeah. on, on 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 decline, I don't know what I don't know what you leave it with because Tom Cruise is sixty now, so you're not going to have Mission Impossible forever. Um, so I don't know, I don't know what they're going to have. It's uh, it's going to be Fast and Furious, and that's it. But uh, well, yeah, whoo. <laughs> So I mean those those are the new films that we watched. Uh the other thing that we tend to talk about is our New Year's resolutions. And you'll be familiar with me talking about my New Year's resolution, but what was quite interesting was at the end end of last uh episode or the when we were talking about this last episode, you said, "Why don't we invite people to suggest a resolution for you, James?" And we had a couple of very interesting ones. Uh a couple of ones about like different film like stuff, like when when a new film comes out and it's like the big big like next uh, next big thing being pushed on Netflix just watch it don't hesitate just watch it and you'll end up watching a range of different films a few other things nothing quite grabbed us except someone said why don't you do a Nicolas Cage season and you immediately jumped on that this sort of, that would be interesting and I'm very excited about this James tell me what you're going to do with Nicolas Cage in the year of 2023
1: well I haven't got a, I haven't with a really good title for it yet maybe something like Cage the Elephant or <laughs> but um yeah, I'm fucking regretting it now. <laughs> uh, basically, what I did was I thought, yeah, we can do a year of the Nick Cage, expecting like you know some classics like The Wicker Man and like these you know these kind of memeable performances. Yeah. What what I ended up getting was um, the U- I, So what I was going to do is I was going to watch a film for January because we, we decided on this at the end of January and then a film for February. So I got to watch two Nicholas Cage films. Oh, goody. Um, the first one being USS Indianapolis and the second one being Trespass. So, not off to a great start in terms of the potential for enjoyment that you can have with next cage performance. Like I was hoping for the Wicker Man off the bat and I got the USS Indianapolis. So so just which, to, just, which made me glad that the sharks won. <laughs> so Pitching just that.
0: just just to explain though you you have found I don't know if it's a website oh, yes. or something else. It's
1: it's just a Nick Cage film picker. So you just click it and it's got Nick Cage's mouth and it just spews out a film and it just generates a random film. So there's so, so all then, sorts of So you this can is get.
0: this is what I'm very excited about because what, what I've done with mine is I picked like a director that I'm very interested in and I thought about the twelve films that I was gonna do and I sort of curated it and and that's one way of doing things. You have gone down the route of chaos, chaos and mayhem that you are just you have to you have to click something it's like russian roulette you don't know what you're going to get and Nicolas cage has got such a wild and varied uh film career you could be getting leaving las vegas which you won an oscar for best actor for which is taken seriously as a film or you could get the rock one of these other big blockbusters or you could have some of the weird crazy shit he's done down down the track so you click it and these films have been handed to you by fate yeah yes so that's basically and and basically you're doing two because you missed one for january so you're doing january and february together and then going forward you're going to do one a month yeah
1: yes yes i am so what so walk me through what happened when you click these films well it spewed out uss indianapolis and trespass is what it did
0: (laughs) so tell me about uss indianapolis we, we, we mentioned it before, didn't we? Because we had a, a one that got away about someone else trying to do a version of this story which was immortalised in Jaws. It's about the USS Indianapolis that delivered the atom bomb and then was sunk and the men were stuck in the water with sharks and that's why it was a story that was referenced in Jaws. This is Nick Cage playing the captain of the ship that, that went yeah, down? Yeah, the Admiral right? or whatever, yeah. yeah. So, so how did it play out? Oh
1: my it's Just It should be so easy to make this film because Robert Shaw did it for you. Yeah, yeah. Is that his name? Robert Shaw. Yeah. Yeah. Um he made he basically describes the entire film for them and it it was just I couldn't watch it. I could not there was no charisma. It was you it was like Nicolas Cage was trying to be serious because you can't, you can't be Nick Cage and be like, "I'm a vampire." Yeah, yeah. P- well, P- people know.
0: would, people would probably think he was being disrespectful to the story if he went full Cage, right?
1: Yeah. So, it's just, it's just. Uh... it's just horrible. From
0: from memory this is quite low budget and I remember when I was reading up about this, I didn't see the film myself but I remember reading some of the criticisms of it saying that it it had clearly been done on the cheap and it looked cheap. Like, did the sharks look real? Did they look like rubber bath toys? What was going on?
1: It cost 40 million and made 1.7 back. Oh!
0: Yeah, so (laughs) I I wouldn't say
1: it was you know, that low budget but
0: but when, when you're when you're talking about like uh, uh, an American kind of navy ship and a period drama and filming in water, that that can be expensive, can't it?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it was just it was just shit. You know, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm glad the sharks get their dinner at the end of this because. Oh, it was just pathetic, and you know, what? it wasn't even that. It wasn't even a terrible cast. Yeah, you've got Nicholas Cage, who can be very hit or miss. You've got uh, Tom Sizemore, who can also um, be very
0: hit or miss. He's he's usually this like is true. Some of his films he
1: only made to kind of pay his legal fills legal bills. You've got Thomas Jane, who again has been in some very hit and miss films. Yeah. Um. And everything was just there, and but it wasn't. That's the problem. It was just, it was pathetic. It was just it was just unwatchable. Oh, like it's shame. just it's a hot pile of you know Pacific shit. It, okay. I never want to watch a film like that ever. Again. How,
0: how far did it go forward? Did it did it do the stuff? Because I remember when we were talking about the story on the um on the pod that that someone else was trying to make a film of is that. Uh, in recent years a high school kid ended up doing some research which exonerated the captain and there were court cases or court marshals after he got back. Did it go into any of that or was or was it all just the action in the water? Um
1: there's I think I couldn't I couldn't even try and elaborate because genuinely I got about forty five minutes into this. And it was just it was just weak. The It feels like they're trying to create characters and they didn't need to. This film should have just been a tense film. I don't think you even... You just need the bit where this film gets... Yeah. Where the ship gets sunk and then you've got that tension of everyone sat in the water. It should have been a horror film more than anything. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was...
0: Yeah, I mean, it's directed... I'm I'm looking it up on Wikipedia now. It's directed by Mario Van Peebles who had one very good film with... um, Uh, New Jack City but I wouldn't have said this was exactly his speed as a director Um, yeah it's uh, (laughs) a shame it doesn't sound like it was enjoyably bad either unfortunately
1: Um, no like like I said because Nick Cage doesn't get to do his Nick Cage things and you can kind of go what the fuck is this guy doing it's like he's got to kind of pretend to be serious and that's kind of the problem with Trespass as well Yeah, except Trespass is directed by Joel Schumacher Hey, uh. now Joel Schumacher is such
0: an interesting director because he can be. He's done some stuff which is really, really very good. Um, some of some of it's good in a sort of a serious way, like Tigerland. Some of it's good in a fun camp and silly way, like The Lost Boys. He's also done some fucking dog shit like Batman and Robin. So what's, what what's Trespass about? I don't even know what that what what it's
1: about. So it's meant to be. About a married couple taken hostage by extortionists, which is actually quite an interesting story, and if you have two leads like Nick Cage and Nicole Kidman, you think this might be quite Nicole Kidman's in it be... as well. Yep. Okie dokie. You've also got Ben Mendelsohn. He's always good, or usually good. Yeah. Usually he's okay. Um But yeah. That, and he plays the like the leader, the lead extortionist. And you think, okay, you've got an interesting kind of... You can create some interesting dynamics and scenes and conversations with those three. Um, but, yeah, it's just... It's the extortionists, they try to extort money from them by threatening to kill them with lethal injections. Yeah. Which is just mental. Like, well, you've, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh, how do we extort these people for money? Do we... Do we say we're going to kidnap their daughter and we won't give them their daughter unless they give us the money? No, we're just going to threaten them with fucking lethal ejections. Um. And then Nicole Kidman's character recognizes one of the extortionists, and they used to have an affair. Uh, yeah, it, t- it t-
0: turns out this was um, this was the last film that uh, uh, Joel Schumacher ever directed. Oh, so well. it's possibly kind of you're getting the last gasp of what was a very like variable career anyway. He, he and he hadn't done anything that brilliant in nearly a decade. Uh, his last sort of un sort of sort of uh, uh, straight up successful film was Phone Booth in 2002. So you, you're talking about a career that's if you're going to be harsh, circling the drain a little bit by the time he's directing this. It's he's he's got some big names for it though. I mean Nicole Kidman and that's two Oscar-winning actors. I know that I'm not a big fan of Nicole Kidman, but that's two fairly Nobody big names. Nobody is. <laughs> but uh, there you go. So that that's a shame because obviously that's not the most fun you could have had. I mean, there's some really weird, silly stuff you could have had as well, right? Uh, but I yeah. guess we'll, we'll we'll see what March brings you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's your resolution. I'm I'm still really pleased you're doing this. I ha- I had a sense of excitement, like just just waiting for you to tell me how that had all gone. Um, for me, I'm I'm in month two uh, of my year-long project uh, of of the Cronenberg Institute, uh, and this month visiting the Cronenberg Institute brought us to Rabbit. Now, this was his follow-up to uh, Shivers. Uh, Essentially, what I'm doing, I'm, I'm I'm filling in the blanks in some of the key films of his I haven't seen. So at the moment, I'm on his early years and the, the body, you know, very much in the body horror era. This is the follow-up to Shivers, and it's thematically similar, but he's got a bigger budget, some bigger and better actors. He's just expanded the story, made it a bit more ambitious. Um, it was made in 1976, released in 1977. He's still a little bit on the low budget side, so he has to kind of wait and get his film released a little bit. Um, the main part is played by Marilyn Chambers, who's actually a porn star who tried to break into mainstream films. Um, and now her notoriety and fame, because she was actually pretty well known, uh, helped get the film made and watched. Um, there's obviously a stereotype about the acting ability of porn stars, but she's actually pretty solid and carries the film well enough. Um, this film, The Cronenberg Institute, it's another, again, it's another shadowy clinic trying something new and radical. Um it's uh what happens is that uh, marilyn chambers main character has a motorcycle crash and is on the verge of death she just so happens to be within reach of this clinic rather than a main hospital and they say she's not going to survive a trip in an ambulance to a proper accident emergency unit we'll have to try and help her let's use our experimental surgery that we're using which is all about you know um uh using kind of internal kind of parasites to grow organs um it saves her but it has horrendous side effects it creates a kind of a, a appendage that comes out of her she has this appetite for blood uh, and so basically people try to have sex with her this uh, strange appendage comes out from under her arm pierces people and drinks their blood and turns them into zombies this That's kicks fantastic off, this kicks off a terrifying epidemic which has taken over the whole country It's got body horror because it's uh, transforming the people involved. It's got his perverse depiction of sexuality because what's happening is is that her kind of... Instead of having sexual desire, she's got a desire for blood, but it plays out like sexual desire. Someone tries to sexually assault her or a guy tries to get off with her and she kind of lets them and then just takes their blood. And she kind of can't survive otherwise, so she has basically got the same kind of struggles as a vampire, like she doesn't want to kill anyone, but she needs the blood and she doesn't realise that what she's doing is creating homicidal zombies, right? And these homicidal zombies start taking over and attacking everyone, and it starts to go a little bit into um, apocalyptic territory because the government has to take over, declare martial law. Um, you've got Cronenberg regular Bob Silverman making a brief appearance. You've got the day, sort of the pieces of of how David Cronenberg makes his film start to to fall into place. Some very strange things happen. There's a zombie cow because she tries to drink a cow's blood, um, hoping that it means she won't have to kill humans anymore, but it doesn't help her and it turns the cow into a zombie, so that's a bit weird. Um, uh, uh, Santa Claus gets shot uh because there's a there's a whole there's a whole zombie outbreak in a shopping center there's a department store santa like gets caught in a crossfire so you've got like this this santa claus getting riddled with bullets in the middle of the screen so david Cronenberg is kind of going i am gonna really freak you out you know what i mean there is no you know nobody is safe um it's quite interesting because it flips the usual tropes because it's a woman doing the penetrating, not to put too fine a point on it. Um, there's a really horrifying scene in a hospital operating theatre which has echoes of dead ringers. It, it's quite good. It's very bleak and apocalyptic. You can see his style forming. Um, it, he's really strong technically, even if he's not dealing with big budgets at this point and he's... The actors are better, but there's still a few kind of slightly amateur performances in there. Uh, But you can see that Cronenberg is a keen observer of human frailty. Do you know what I mean? It's like people... He's not. You know, like Kubrick has always gone on about how basically people are quite bad, and that's why bad things happen to them. Cronenberg's more like... He's more sympathetic, but he's like, you know, people make the decisions they're going to make, and some of that goes wrong. And people will decide to do one thing or another and that might only make the crisis worse. So he's very good at exploring that and disease and transformation. No moral judgment, just portraying things. So yeah, definitely worth a watch. And I think it's better than Shivers. You can see him kind of growing and developing as a director in this. Um, so that's so that's Rabid. And obviously because of the interesting kind of background to the film and that a, a porn star you know, helped get the film made and like had a leading part in it. My impromptu top 10 inspired by this film is the uh, top 10 films that feature... Adult stars, uh, adult film stars in in mainstream films, uh, which in no particular order goes, The Big Lebowski, uh, Boogie Nights, obviously, He Got Game, An American Werewolf in London, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Strange Days, Ghostbusters, believe it or not, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Blade, and Magnolia. That's a very, very eclectic list of films that featured uh, porn stars trying their luck in mainstream films. But that's... um, uh, that's my Cronenberg Institute visit for the month.
1: So, did what, you? What a wild ride!
0: <laughs> yeah, so pretty crazy film. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to fit into Double Real Monthly before we uh, before we close this segment? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, thank you very much. That's all for Double Reel Monthly for February. Thank you for listening. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Next week, we'll be back with our regular features. First up will be our classics and recommended feature, where we finally get round to watching three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Then our hidden gem, where we tell you why you should get round to watching
1: Deja Vu, even if you've got a feeling that you already have. In The One That Got Away, we'll tell you why Jim McBride didn't manage to make Electra Assassin. And in the remake, hate watch, we'll look at the 1993 version of The Three Musketeers. We look forward to you joining us then. Look after yourselves in the meantime.
0: See you on the other side.